coming up on the Dr. John Deloney Show. I had to leave my older children with their dad in New York. And you met somebody new. Y'all had a, a, a kid, but this guy lived in Chicago. Well, my current husband kept saying, well, it's not fair that I get to be a part-time dad. All of this is predicated on your husband's job. Yo, 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 what up? This is John with the Dr. John Deloney Show. Show where we talk to real people who find their lives upside down, either by their own doing or life has happened to them or they have been stuck and stuck and stuck. And they don't know what to do next. And so this is a real show with real people. And we're talking mental health, we're talking relationships, we're talking marriage, kids, whatever you got going on in your life, my promise is I will tell the truth and I'll walk alongside you. And if I don't know the answer, I'll reach out to some of my expert colleagues all over the country and do my best, or I might just say, I don't know. Um, and sometimes there's not a happy ending to every one of these calls. Sometimes reality is hard and it's scary and it's going to be long-term or there's two or three or four gnarly choices, but we're going to do this together. And so if you want to be on this show, give me a buzz at 1-844-693-3291. It's one 3291 or go to com slash ask, A-S-K. Um, and please, 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 you can change everybody's life. That's a little bit dramatic, but please just take a second to hit the subscribe button or the like button or the thumbs up button or whatever buttons are on whatever device you're just buttons. Hey, listen, Apple, Google, and Spotify and everybody, can we just universalize how people say like, I like the show. That would, that would make my job easier. All right, let's go to Jeanette in Chitone in Chicago. What's up, Jeanette? Hi, Dr. Zaloni. It's a pleasure finally getting a hold of you. It's a pleasure to talk to you. What's up? Uh, lots. <laughs> so I'm not sure where do I begin. Um, Cannonball. Anyways, I Cannonball, right in the middle. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm here in Chicago. Actually, it's an hour outside of Chicago, Illinois. But um, just to for viewers and listeners, Chicago, I guess, is a better uh, <laughs> point, uh, reference point. So I moved out here from originally from New York about a year and a half ago. I have a blended family and it's becoming um, extremely, excruciatingly painful for myself, my children, my marriage, the entire move. And I feel that it's been perhaps a mistake. Um, not sure how to undo the damage or how to move on. What brought you to the Chicago area from New York? Um, About about eight eight years ago, I met my current husband, and he uh, lives here. And so we've decided um, throughout different options that it would be best for us to raise our daughter together. And it was easier for me to get a um, transfer from my job at the time out here as opposed to him moving to New York because he had a job with pension and all sorts of benefits that were not transferable. Hey, Jeanette, you're being so, so careful in your language. <laughs> can I, can I be super honest with you? Please. You did something that you're not proud of, right? What is it? Yes. What did you do? I can feel it. How, how professional and, um, Carefully craft. Do you work for a large company? Yes. Yes, you do. I, I could tell by the way y'all communicate with one another. And so 
just cannonball in? What happened? Um, I had to leave my older children with their dad in New York. That how old? Uh, well, my oldest is twenty-one now, and the middle one is seventeen. But it was a year and a half ago, and nonetheless, it's very difficult. So let me let me back out. So eight years ago, you met somebody new. Y'all right. had y'all had a child together. Well, not right away. <laughs> right, but, but you it, left your you left your previous marriage. Right, and you met somebody new. Y'all had a, a a kid. Yes, but this guy lived in Chicago, and so it was a long distance thing. It was a long distance relationship for. A very long time, up until a year and a half ago. What what changed a year and a half ago? It became very difficult for me to raise um, our little one by myself. I was juggling work, um, daycares, and my older children were champs. They actually helped in a lot when I couldn't. When the daycare was closed due to COVID, they would always help me out so I could go to work and why'd you take the opportunity for them to keep helping and being a part of their family away from them? Um, not sure. <laughs> um, he, well, my current husband kept saying, well, it's not fair that I get to be a part-time dad. And here's what's not fair. All of this is predicated on, jeez, oh, man. <sighs> All of this is predicated on, the most important thing in this relationship is your husband's job. And for him to keep his fantasy little world, he has to break up one unit that's already been broken up once because it's not fair. I, I don't I, What's not fair is he married somebody and said, choose me over your children. That's not fair. Because anybody who marries into uh, marries somebody who's already has kids via another marriage has to know those kids have to come first. Right. They have to. Your 17-year-old's a child. She looks tough and she acts tough and she's been through hell and back and she grew up in New York so she probably walks a little taller. She's a child. Mm-hmm. And that child needs her mama, right? Yes. Even though we try to FaceTime as much as we can. That does, and that's not a thing. That's not a thing. It's not, no. Yeah. I mean, that's not a thing. I bring them out here as much as I can, as much as I possibly can with our crazy schedules, and it's just not the same. And he doesn't seem to understand. Oh, he understands he doesn't care, Jeanette. He doesn't care. Because that was part of your old world and he is your new world. And so he doesn't care. I think there's more to this. Tell me I'm wrong. And I'm, per- I'm perfectly okay being wrong. Kids are one thing. But I think you've run into a stark reality after six or seven years of fantasy land, which is like long distance relationships. It's so fun. You can be super, you can be super intimate electronically or on the phone very different when homeboy won't pick up his underwear or it's very different when like 
why do we have to be so loud or so quiet or whatever the thing is. I'm wondering if you moved to Chicago and you, in your marriage that you've been in for a long time, are wondering, what have I done? And the kids are just a part of that. Is that fair? Yes. That's very fair. So what do you do now? That's the good question. I don't know because it seems that since I've been here, our marriage has, and our relationship and communication has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. We hardly ever talk. He just comes in, goes right to his phone, goes to bed, starts all over again. Next day, we have uh, different work schedules and we hardly ever see each other now. And it's funny because when I lived in New York and we had a long distance relationship, he made time to see yeah. us. We would FaceTime, we would talk, we would communicate a lot more than we communicate now. And I've tried, I've called him, said, hey, we should really set some time aside to talk about our future, what we need to do. And he always gets either defensive or loud and the conversation has to end. So he responds like a child. Yes. And I've said this to him. I said, please don't don't be a man child. (laughs) He doesn't like that term. (laughs) Well, I mean, like I have a seven year old and sometimes she'll come in just and respond really loud and it's disrespectful and we deal with it, but also she's seven. It's pretty normal. Right. It's not normal for a grown-up with a job and a wife and a kid. Right. I want you to be very, very... therapy. Do what? We've also done therapy, and after a while, he just... It just dies out. I want you to be very careful about dragging your kids into this because I don't think they're the, the issue. I don't want you looking at him and saying, I have to move back because of my kids. Cause that's not wholly true, mm-hmm. but you're going to have to deal with the shame of two marriages that didn't work. The right. a lost decade. Almost. I mean, you know, you know, all those things, right? All those feelings you will have, whether they're true or not true. It's all going to come. It, it probably already all, all is crashing in on you. Yeah. And him deciding to sue for custody and all that mess and splitting time across two cities and two states. I mean, all that. It's just, it, 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 it is the reality, right? Right. The way you're describing it, I don't see a smooth transition he, unless he just lets y'all go and which he might just do. He might want his little peaceful world where he can just have an imaginary girlfriend on the phone and via FaceTime, but he gets to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to. In his regular life. Right. Maybe. But he may have been around. How, how long is your, how old is your daughter? Um, the youngest one is five. She just turned five. Okay. Whew, golly, that poor girl. Yeah. All right. So I've been talking a lot. How can I help you? Um, <laughs> that's the question. How do I fix this mess? How do I go about fixing this? How do, do I do more talking to him? Do we do more marriage counseling? He 
doesn't seem to respond well on the marriage counseling front. He's been, and this should have been, I guess, a red flag for me, but um, he had previously been married twice. Uh, but we always ignore those little pesky red flags. I mean, those are huge, giant, wavy flags, right? Yeah. Um, they're not little pesky red ones. Um, I, I, it sounds like the thing you haven't done through all of this is ask yourself, what does Jeanette want and what does Jeanette need? And you've got to start with that question. Because you're going to counseling and you don't really have a definitive destination of where you're trying to to head with this relationship. Mm-hmm. It's almost as it's almost like you're stuck in a in a freeze cycle and the fight flight or freeze, you're just kind of stuck. And I can imagine that's unnerving because you're probably a gangster at work, right? You're probably really good at your job. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? <laughs> I, I I would assume that. Just yeah. say yes, just say yes. You do good you do good at your job. And <laughs> then it's so perplexing as to why this stuff all doesn't work. And it's easy to just almost just sit and drop your shoulders, kind of put your belly out and just kind of sit almost like Buddha and just be like, I don't know what to do. And maybe we'll go to counseling. Maybe we'll go to the gym. Maybe we'll start reading a book. Like there's not really any goal other than not this. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like getting in your car and being like, I just don't want to be here. I'm just going to drive. And then you both end up in different places. And so I think you've got to ask, where do we want to go with this? What do I want to do with my relationships? What do I want to do with my kids? What's the best thing for this five-year-old little girl? What's the best thing for my 17-year-old girl who's about to transition into full-blown adulthood? And my influence over her will transition from you have to, from one of force to one of influence, one of partnership. And that's a tough transition. You know, you remember those days. That's a tough transition for any of us. Oh, yeah. You got to ask yourself, what are those situations going to be like? How do, how do we navigate that? What do I want? What do I need in that season? I mean, that's where you got to start. And then you have to be very, very clear with this dude, your husband. Here's what I need. Here's what I want. And it sounds like, if I'm being honest, um, you've probably heard me say this over and over on the show, behavior is a language. Sounds like he's being very clear. Jeanette, I don't care what you want. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you feel. This is what I'm going to do. And you can't, you can't be married like that. You can't be married like that. Um, I'm not, uh, I'm terrible at gambling. I'm awful at it. Like comically awful at it. I'm wrong almost all the time. Um, but I'd be willing to bet that he's talking to somebody else too. Given the way you described how he interacts with you and that he's got more of a relationship with his phone and he's got a multi-year history and it would not surprise me if there's other people that he's communicating with in some shape, form, or fashion. And I think it's just sitting down and getting to the bottom of that. And nobody wakes up and says, man, I really want to be divorced twice. It's hard. It's really, really hard. I've got some of my close friends in the world, they've experienced this and it's just tough. It's 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 shape-shifting because I thought people who got divorced twice were those people not me and here we are and you got to own the reality that this is where we are and then what are we going to do next i think you got to go sit with somebody whether it's a close friend there in chicago whether it's a therapist somebody in your local community and say 
I need help sifting through the nonsense. What do I want and what do I need? And then I got to be real clear about saying those things out loud, very directly to my ex-husband, to my kids, to my husband, and to the mirror. And you got to stick to them. But I think the running and the hiding and the I don't know and the ambiguity, you got to stop. You got to stop because you're, you're, you're bringing your kids underwater too. Call anytime, Jeanette. So sorry what you're going through. Let's make it right. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you by Hallow. Almost every day, whether I'm doing my red light therapy, driving to work, listening to the Gregorian chants on the airplane, or just sitting on my front porch, I spend time using Hallow, my go-to app for guided prayer, music, and meditation. And right now, I'm going through a particularly stressful time. I got big deadlines, big speeches coming up in front of thousands of people, end of school and other family transitions, and on and on. And recently, I made a decision amidst all the chaos to dive even deeper into my faith and spiritual practices, and Hallow is leading the way. Hallow is the number one prayer and meditation app in the world. They have 10,000-plus audio-guided prayers and meditations, including daily prayers, daily gospel reflections, daily psalm readings, daily writings, minute meditations, and more. And there are places for people in Hallow who are skeptical and new to this whole faith conversation— And there's places for those who have been swimming in these waters their entire life and who just want to go deeper. And there are stories, audiobooks, and other special things for kids and focuses on mental and emotional health. For listeners of the Dr. John Deloney Show, Hallow will give you three free months. That's all 10,000 plus prayers, meditations, music, lecture series, all of it. Three free months. If you go to hallow.com slash Deloney. That's Hallow, H-A-L-L-O-W dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go to Dallas, Texas, man. Homeboy called my bluff. What's up, Nathan? How are you today, Dr. Deloney? (laughs) I'm good. All right, so to set the stage here, the last show, um, we reached out to your wife. She wrote a letter, like an OG pen and paper letter. And her story. Do what? She said you loved them. Oh, so I do. I love them. I love them. <laughs> um, but usually there people send letters like, you know, they're like real happy or thank you so much. Or here's, here's how, because of your show, we've, we've, I've, I'm doing this now in my life and my life's better. Your wife's letter was like, Hey, I'm dealing with this. And I was like, man, we got to reach out to her. Right. Well then halfway through our conversation, I'm like, man, I really, the person I need to be talking to right now is your husband. And if he would call me, That'd be awesome. And then here you are, man. Oh, yeah. Kudos to you, brother. Kudos to you. Hey, just so you know, she talks really good about you when you're not around. That doesn't happen a lot on this show, man. So well done, dude. Well, way to be a husband of integrity who uh, honors his wife, man. That's cool. All right. So you, in your voice, recap what's going on and how I can help. A letter. So um, I do know, you know, she was talking about my mom. And the whole situation with her, with her leaving and the way she left, uh, kind of put a strain on, you know, mine and her relationship, not my wife's, but my mother's. And, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh, man. This is almost exactly as I thought it was going to play out. So for everybody, your mom um, met somebody on Twitter. Right. After 30 years of marriage, or 30 plus years of marriage, 
just surprises everybody. Everybody thinks she went out for a run and she moves away. And then she sends a message to your brother that says, I didn't just leave your dad. I left all of y'all. This is over. Right. Right. And and then disappears. Yeah. That's exactly how it played out. It's a, it's a lot to unpack really. And it was what, three, four or five years ago. Uh, let's see. It's right before me and my wife got married. Yeah, this is also so, yeah a week before your wedding or two. Two uh, two months actually. Good gosh, man. Yeah. All right, so I'm in dangerous ground. Both of us are from Texas. We both know we don't talk about each other's moms. Fair. Fair. Yet I got to talk about your mom. Is that cool? That's that's fine. All right, uh, I'll that's be as, why I called. I'll be I'll be as respectful as I can. Um. What your mom did was one of what I would consider a core evil. Do you agree with that or no? Yeah, I do agree. What part of you is still trying to hang on and fix this relationship or make it right? Man, uh, you know, it's one of those deals. the The heart says one thing and the head says another. And it's real hard to, you know, cut ties because at the end of the day, that's still your mom. But she and, you know, was so specific in how she cut ties with you. Right. And, you know, it's one of those deals. It's like you, you want to come up with a, a reason for why she did what she did. There's not one, man. Maybe, maybe, maybe between not. her and your dad, but not you. Right. Right. And it's just one of those deals. I guess it, it's real hard to accept what she did. And you can't, like I said, you come up with the reasons and it was, well, it was better off for her to cut the ties to make herself feel better. And, you know, it, it comes down to basically selfishness there you go. is, is what it is. Yeah. And you, you will never know ever the dynamic behind closed doors of your mom and your dad's relationship. That's like, no one will ever know the way he looked at it or what he said, what he whispered, good, bad, awful. No one will ever know. Yeah, and that, that's what's so hard about it is, you know, you saw the outer di- dynamic, you know, what they put on on display, 33 years of marriage. And then uh, my dad worked the night shift, and for him to come home in the morning, and she's just gone. Uh, she left her ring on the table, uh, all the jewelry that us kids and grandkids had bought her, she left it. And just up and left, didn't tell anybody, didn't say anything to anybody. The only person she told was her sister, and that's how we found out she left. And it's just that that betrayal, I guess. Yeah. And I would tell you that the success of your future marriage, the success of your future parenting and the success of your future emotional health is contingent on you making peace with that betrayal, not trying to fix it. Right. Because you can't. It's so unimaginable. It's not unimaginable for a wife to get fed up and leave her husband. That happens all the time. And sometimes, good for, I mean, way to go, right? But to take all the kids' jewelry and to just try to control, alt, delete a couple of sons and a daughter, that's evil. That's the embodiment of it. Has she tried to circle back and say, I'm sorry, and how's my kid? Like, how is she making her way? Because your wife's question was, I don't want this woman in my house. and But I also right. want to I want to love my husband, and I know he's in a weird spot. Is she trying to make her way back in, or are you trying to create a new path? 
honestly, I feel like I'm trying to create a new path because I don't know if my wife had told you, our son was born two weeks ago. Oh, congratulations. Oh, dude, and you've got this picture that's not going to happen. Right. And, you know, me growing up, you know, I had my grandparents around, but it wasn't, uh, you know, the uh, hallmark picture perfect, you know, nothing ever is. But, you know, I had my grandparents around, they helped us out, and, you know, the older I get, the more I look back and more of my memories are, I worked for them. There, there's, I feel like a lot of resentment towards my grandparents, and I don't want that for my kid. Nathan, there's, you can't control that. Right. Your mom cannot be around your kid. She can't. She's not a safe person of character who I would put in the life of my child for a number of reasons. But the hurt you felt and the pain you felt when two months before your marriage, your mom just evaporated in front of you and sent a note saying, I'm leaving you too. And here's all your crap back that you've bought me over the years. I'm not putting my, my kid through that. Yeah. Or the chance that would happen. Now, if you know anything about me in this show, I'm always about redemption. Always. If she comes back to you on her knees saying, I committed a core, core violation to the soul of my children, and I'm so sorry. And y'all wanted to start a multi-year process of regaining trust and regaining connection and communication still before you ever see my kids. Then I'd, I'd be, I'd support that. You're right. I'd support that. But you are, yeah. cre you're creating, you're setting up a recipe for disaster in your home because your wife is looking at you, at the woman who destroyed her husband. And after you've picked yourself off the ground, bloody, scraped up, completely torn in two, your wife hands you your first son and you're heading back to that same dragon that got you the last time. Right. You've got to grieve the loss of that picture, brother, because it's gone. She left. And dude, I hate it for you, man. I hate it for you. Yeah. Have you been anything other than angry? Have you wept yet? Um, honestly, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when she first left, you know, uh, us kids came together real strong. And then shortly after we got married, you know, things kind of fell apart. Yeah. And that was probably the last time I had basically felt any emotion around my family. Yeah. Base. I usually just, you know, it's one of those deals. You just kind of try to suppress it and work through it. No, and you I don't. Can't. You don't just suppress <laughs> well, it and well, work through it. I, I don't. It's not suppress it, but I, I, I channel it through my work. Okay. You know, I'm a hands-on guy, so I just, you know, I do my job and I work through my process. And you know, I, I signed up for better help. Mm. You know, you you always talk about that, and I did better help. Good. And talked to my therapist, and he helped me through a lot of stuff. Good. Um, here's your homework assignment. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you ever listen to this show, um, I, I, I recommend this a lot, but here's your homework assignment. Mm -hmm. 
It's going to be unique to you. Normally, we do this when somebody's died. And in many ways, your mom did. Right. The haunting part for you is her ghost still remains. And that just, it's haunting. Because if you are any human being at all, you're a son. And you're asking yourself, what, what was so unlovable about me? What's so great about this Twitter guy? What's so bad about my your grandson, for God's sake? There will not be a rational answer to the, for this because it's an irrational act. And so I want you to write, and even if you're not a writer, you got to do this. I want you to write your mom a letter. Mm. One of them is going to be how angry you are. And I want you for the first time to actually feel this stuff. You did this to us. I was your son. The second thing, letter I want you to write to your mom is a letter about heartbreak. I'm sad. And I want that to be the start of the letter. Dear mom, I'm really sad. Brown. I had this picture of what my life was going to look like. You were going to be a part of it. We were going to have a different kind of relationship with grandparents. You were going to be that crazy, fun old grandma that whatever, whatever. And you left me, and I'm really sad. And the third letter you're going to write your mom is, Dear Mom, so we're moving on. And I want you to let her know what she's going to miss. And here's some things she's going to miss. She's going to miss how great of a father her son's going to be. And what a man of character and integrity he's going to be. Because he's never going to leave his kids or his wife. She's going to miss t-ball games. And she's going to miss when your little one learns to walk and goes and crashes into thing and the first ER visit with a big, got to get stitches. And going to miss all that. The recital and the violin concert and the karate match or whatever. She's going to miss all that stuff. And I want you to end that letter with, I wish you the best. And I hope your life has turned out how you wanted it to. And that's it. And after that, we're setting this sucker down. And those will be three really tough letters to write. Yeah, I mean, they're already tough. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, she doesn't, she, she, not only does she not get to see your kid, I don't think you fully metabolized. She has told you, I don't ever want to see your kid. I don't ever want to see you. Right. You've got to take ownership of that awful, awful, gut-wrenching reality. It's the worst. It, it, I, I can't. I'm sitting here thinking, um, my son asked me this morning, hey, Dad, can you drop me off at, at work? And he cleans out the neighbor's horse stalls um, and spreads manure with this tractor thing. And he does a bunch of odd jobs for a neighbor on their horse ranch. And I was like, absolutely, man. I'm leaving at this time this morning. Um, be ready to go. And he's like, yes, sir. And then I walked into the shower and... Um, no, I went down to work out and then I got up and went up in the shower and I got to thinking about a talk I've got to do this afternoon. And I heard banging on my door and I thought the kids were just causing havoc like they do in the morning and I totally ignored it. And then I come out of my shower, like, where is he? I was 20 minutes late. And he'd gone on sprinting down our driveway that's about a quarter of a mile, sprinting through the fields over the creek to get to work on time. 
And I was so ashamed. I was sad that I'd done that. And I drove my car over to where he works and drove all the way to the back pasture. And he saw me and he stopped the tractor and he came over and I waved him over and I hugged him. And I said, hey man, I told you I was going to be there to, to give you a ride. And I absolutely failed you. I'm sorry. I lied to you. I told you I would and I didn't. I didn't show up. I wasn't a person of integrity. And he's like, it's okay, dad. I said, no, man, it's not okay. Why do I tell you that? Nate, I'm not the best dad in the world, man. I'm trying to figure this thing out. But to send my son a letter that says, I'm leaving you too, I can't compute that. Because I dishonored my son this morning by giving my word on something and not coming through, and I can't hardly breathe. And so I want you to own the full magnitude of what has happened to you. Because what's happened to you is, a, is one of the core wrongs. A mom looking at her son and her, and her daughter and saying, I'm leaving y'all. And you can't avoid it. And you can't just suppress it. And you can't just work it. Like, get down, feelings, get down, get down. You can't, man. Because they will resurface and they will wreak havoc on your new marriage, on your, on your parenting with your kids, on your relationship with your siblings, and on and on and on. So the only path forward is through the storm, my brother. I'm, I can't tell you how proud of you I am for, for calling better help and getting some counseling. That's awesome. I want you to write these letters and in some shape, form, or fashion, commit to your wife. Before I ever reach out to my mom, before I ever try to reconnect, or at some point she wants to reconnect, we will do this together because I'm really emotional about it and I need somebody who's going to give me some perspective and insight that I may not have when I get emotional. And your wife will say, awesome. Congrats on being a great husband and a great dad, my brother. And for everybody out there, you have to choose reality. You got to own reality. Here is what has happened in my life. The good, the bad, and the evil. And it's only from that starting line can you then ask, what are we going to do now? Where do we go from here? We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. One of the most common questions I get on my show is how do you get something off your chest, right? Like a deep secret that you've never told anyone. Or maybe it's something that happened to you. Or maybe it's something you've done that you're ashamed about or worried because you know bringing this to light is going to cause disruption across your life. All of us, every single one of us, have things both big and small that we need to get off our chest from time to time. And I say this all the time, secrets will kill you. But it's often so hard to know where to start. If you need to get something off your chest and you don't have a safe person to talk to, you may want to try therapy. Therapy is a safe, effective place to get things off your chest, to learn how to say scary and hard things out loud, and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. I have personally been blessed to have a great therapist who I can talk to and who helps me get those heavy things off my chest. And if you are thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, it's convenient, it's super flexible, and it's suited to fit your schedule, whatever your schedule happens to be. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no extra money. Listen, it's time to get those secrets off your chest. Start with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Deloney today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Deloney. All right, we're back. Let's go to Savannah, Georgia and talk to the great Maggie. What's up, Maggie? 
Uh oh. Super nervous, Doctor John. Hey, do me oh a favor. I can't believe this is. Hey, do me a favor, yeah. Maggie. Can you talk directly into your phone? Yes, it is a huge phone. Is that better? That is so good. Much better. Yes. Okay. I am so nervous. I'm sorry if I start shaking a little bit. How are you guys? <laughs> Dude, I promise I'm more nervous than you because I'm not great at this. So you are good. You're in good hands. And if I screw something up, which probably will, Kelly and Jenna can rescue the day. So it's all good. So I talked to you, Miss Jenna, and she told me just to lead with the original question and then kind of go into background. So uh, my original question, I guess the the core question is, um, am I doing the right thing by moving out of my home while my husband is um, in rehab and detox for the second time? Um, And then kind of a follow leading on question to that is how do I rectify that? Yes, I'm terrified and that's understandable, but um, it just doesn't feel right. And I can't rectify that. Yes, it's the logical thing to do and likely the safe thing to do, but it feels like I'm completely abandoning um, my husband in that situation. So um, just background, me and my husband were both active duty in the military. I'm not going to go into the specific branch and, and what we do, but it's, they're both pretty demanding jobs, uh, Dr. John. And um, so this has been going on for a couple of years, and this is his second time in rehab, which is why I do want to protect him and his career and his identity because he has done a lot for this country. And um, But the first time he went, uh, he w- it wasn't completely voluntary, um, but he did uh, – it-, it was a mental savior kind of thing. He was in a really bad place, and unfortunately, he started talking about um, ending his life. And um, we got him there, and we got him help, and he's safe now. But uh, he has been struggling with drinking for a long time, and um, his – and it escalated to a point again to where he was mixing medication and alcohol. And um, there have been spurts of violence, not at me directly, just around me. And uh, the final nail in the coffin, I guess, was I found some very inappropriate and um, unfaithful messages between him and his ex-wife. And um, I, I just feel like there's a light switch that went off. And... Um, yeah, I guess I'm just looking for if I'm doing the right thing, am I being disloyal or am I giving up too early? Um, I'm just, I just feel stuck. I don't know if that makes any sense, sir. Oh, it makes all the sense in the world. You articulated that very well. Um, yeah, if we were in the same room together, I would stop the conversation and just ask if I give you a hug for a second. Because I think you probably gave me the most sanitized version of that story you possibly could because you're a person of honor and integrity, right? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. I'm going to give you two hard, hard truths, okay? That sometimes run a little bit counter to um, some of your own training. Okay. Um, hard truth number one. You can't save him. And you have to fully metabolize that reality. You can call when you need to call, and I'm so proud of you for calling. And you can help with the intake paperwork, and you can be a part of the treatment process. We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But you can't save him. And you love this guy, 
And this guy, you've you've seen sides of this guy that should be put in bronze and put out in front of buildings across this country. And you've also seen sides of this guy that are terrifying. Fair? Okay. You can't save him. The second thing is you must stay safe. And if you are active duty and you have any sort of combat training, when it goes down, you train for years to shut off that switch that says go run and hide and to reprogram yourself with, if I got somebody in the line, I'm going down too. And it doesn't work here. Because what happens is you both end up dead. Metaphorically speaking. You got to stay safe. He, again, I've, and I guess that's the scary part is I've never felt physically in harm. I'm not talking, I'm not talking about physical safety. That's part of it. And I, I bet it's escalating on you. Yes. And, um, and you're smart enough to see it coming is what I'm saying. But there's also emotional safety. There's relational safety. There's psychological safety. There is, well, do I have an STD now? There is, am I just a sucker? Is this what I'm worth? Kind of safety that start those old childhood conversations up. Like, you know, that the voice that's been talking at you since you were a little girl, that voice comes back loud and clear. You know what I mean? All that stuff, that's all wrapped up in safety. And anyone who tries to parse safety apart is usually a big six foot two, 200 pound guy. Because safety is a lot more than that. Than just, did he swing at you or not? Yes, sir. Is that fair? Yes, sir. So no, I think you're doing the right thing. If your body's telling you we got to get out of here, I want you to honor the most important radar system you have. Overreacting um, to that situation and specifically, you know, I, I feel like he cheated on me. Okay. The, the messages in conversation that aside from the physicality and honestly not having a husband because he has been so intoxicated or mm-hmm. on some kind of medication um, for so long, um, I just could not go down that that hole with him as much as I wanted to. I just, I, I can't pull him out of that. And you're absolutely correct, but... Somebody's got to stay outside the well and at some point pull the rope up. But if you both go down the well, you're both, you both drown. Yes. Uh, yes, sir. And just that, that is, I, I just feel like that's cheating as well. I know I keep harping on that one thing, but you don't, I always look, thought Maggie, that we were in the... You, you don't have to apologize. You don't have to, you don't have to, you don't have to confirm the story. You're allowed to feel whatever it is in the world you want to feel. And I think your heart knows it's probably more than just text messages. Because usually when somebody finds texts like that, they look backwards and a whole bunch of puzzle pieces fall into line. And it's just this, oh my gosh. And you've probably heard me say this on the show. I think the most devastating thing about those kind of messages, finding out the person you love. And and let's be honest. (laughs) I usually say this metaphorically. You've been to war. But you've been in the trenches with this guy through two rehab stints. 
You've given up career. You've given up sleep. You've given up sanity. You, you may have given up starting a family. You've given up a bunch of stuff for this. And so to find this is, it's, it's, to call it maddening is undermining it. But I think the worst part of this, the betrayal's hardcore. The disgust and that feeling I want to throw up and I can't believe who are you, that stuff's, that stuff's devastating. But I think the more devastating thing is now Maggie doesn't trust Maggie anymore. Because either Maggie knew this was kind of happening-ish maybe, sort of, and didn't do anything, and Maggie's kind of a gangster in every other part of her life, or Maggie missed it all. And Maggie's got to look in the mirror and go, if we miss this, what else have we missed? It's, it's unmooring, right? It's like, the, it's like the foundation of your house just evaporates. Yeah, I don't know what. I don't even know it's real anymore. It's terrifying. There you go. That's safety. That's safety. Okay. And you've heard me say this a million times, and it applies here too. I want you to choose guilt over resentment. Um, do you have dreams of this marriage circling back up? Um, I have told him that when he gets back out, I likely won't be there. Um, I do have another place lined up, but I did tell him I wasn't filing for divorce, that I'm absolutely willing to go to counseling, but um, I I do require uh, sobriety and, you know, just a chance for us. Hopefully, I'm not saying it's not possible, but I just don't know how to even begin to rebuild that trust. Like, I feel like that was such a foundational um thing for a marriage to work that if he did not hold our marriage in the same level and view it as something that needs to be cherished and protected and he stepped outside of that no matter how he was feeling isolated because I truthfully felt just as isolated and alone this whole time but I I never would have turned against him I was doing everything I can to support him through this and then in the hopes that we could find each other again and work through this. And um, so, no, I haven't filed for divorce um, or a legal separation yet. I am willing to go to counseling and work on it if he does the work as well. Okay. I, I think that sounds beautiful. I always tell everybody to not make decisions in the fog like this. But I do think you're very wise. And if he was my best friend in the world, or if he was on the phone with me right now, I'd be heartbroken for him. He, no chance he wants to be where he is. And I would say, hey, man, she needs to move out for a while. It's the right thing. There's got to be some, some clearance here. So the smoke can clear. We can figure out what's up and what's down. And so I, I, I would tell anybody that. When it comes, you, if you're in love with somebody who struggles with addiction, you got to choose safety. You got to make sure you're okay and you're safe and you're, yeah. and you're whole. My friend, or I'm not abandoning somebody that I've committed to. I, I know that sounds like a, a doormat, but. No, it doesn't because that's, I mean, that's who you are. That's who you are. You go into hell to get your friends out. That's who you are. That's why I, I want you to hear me say you can't get him out of this one. It's a suicide mission. You can't get him out. 
you can be sitting right there at the edge of the light with your arm extended as far as your fingers will reach when he chooses to exit. And sometimes you may find in counseling, there's all sorts of, none of this, none of this is going to be uh, any sort of excuse at all, zero. But weird things happen in the hearts and minds of people who struggle with addiction. And it wouldn't surprise me if he was trying to figure out a way to get some space between the two of you because he didn't want to hurt you anymore. He loves you that much. And you're thinking, well, this was about the stupidest way you could, I know, right? So who knows what happens down the road? But I think you learning to trust Maggie again is really important. And choose guilt. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel, and I don't know what kind of guy he is. He may be saying like, yeah, I know you've got it. I, I know, I know, I know I screwed up. And, or he may just be laying it on thick. I don't know. Um, but you're going to feel guilty. That's just who you are. You don't leave somebody and you feel like you're leaving. I'd rather you do that and give this relationship a fighting chance than to just continue to simmer until suddenly you are a coal of ash and you resent the very name of this guy. Because I think he comes back. I think he comes back and you'll have some decisions to make. But you got to make those decisions in, in moments of clarity. I hate this for you, sister. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate this for him. I want wholeness and wellness for both of you. But I'll say this, like from the bottom of my heart, I'm proud of you for looking at Maggie in the mirror and saying, Maggie, we are worth keeping safe here. And we're worth trusting our gut. And we got to step out for a minute. Sounds wise to me. Good for you. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up? Deloney here. Listen, you and me and everybody else on the planet has felt anxious or burned out or chronically stressed at some point. In my new book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, you'll learn the six daily choices that you can make to get rid of your anxious feelings and be able to better respond to whatever life throws at you so you can build a more peaceful, non-anxious life. Get your copy today at johndeloney.com. All right, as we wrap up today's show, songs the 1996er. It's a throwback. Many of you weren't even born yet. It's a song by Lisa Brokop. Not Brokop, but Brokop. Song's called She Can't Save Him. It goes like this. She can hear his car as it pulls in the drive. She can whisper a prayer, thank God he's alive. She can meet him at the door, catch him when he falls, but she can't save him. She can make his coffee in the cold light of day. She can make his excuses, tell the boss he'll be late. She can wave at the neighbors and kiss him goodbye, but she can't save him. Sometimes she dreams that he's caught in a stream and the water keeps pulling him down. She reaches for him as he pulls her in. She wakes up just before she drowns. Nothing can change until he saves himself. She can't save him. Whew, it's a good word. Love you guys. See you soon. <laughs> 